I'm Hilary Naughton. Welcome to the Uprint Podcast. It's time to remember your power and become the architect of your reality. Join me as we explore the art of intentional co-creation. We delve into the science and the magic. Hear expansive stories from entrepreneurs and creatives around the world who channeled their ideas and inspiration into real life by following their passions and staying true to their inner guidance. My intention is to empower you to act on your desires and live a life in vibrant color. Thanks for tuning in. Now we vibe. Good day. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. If it is your first time tuning in or if you're an avid listener, thank you for your time and for sharing your energy with me today. Before we jump into the guest, who is epic, by the way, but before we jump into that, there's a couple things I wanted to chat with you guys about. So number one is it's episode 51, y'all. Can you believe it? I still can't believe it. When I started the podcast a couple, well, it hasn't been a couple years, about a year and a half ago, my intention was 52 episodes and we are one away. The 52nd episode will come out this week before I head off to California on Friday. But I just wanted to say a big thank you if you have been with me since the beginning or if you came somewhere in the middle. Oh, 52 was a bigger effort than I anticipated. I'm so glad that I did it, though. And season two is coming up. I already have a list of guests that some of you guys have requested and that I've already met, but I'm going to take a break over the holidays and get back into it in the new year. So that's a bit of an update. Also, I spent the last week, which is why I didn't release this episode last week, in Queenstown, New Zealand. If you remember the episode where I talked about the first radio show I did on Bay FM, right, which was maybe a couple of months ago or three months ago, I entered an Instagram giveaway, one of the ones where you just repost their, to your stories, like their post about the giveaway, follow the account, and then subscribe to the newsletter. And it was for this beautiful luxury wellness retreat in Queenstown called Aroha. And I hope I'm saying that right. I believe I am. And Aroha is in like the hills of Queenstown overlooking a beautiful lake. It is so tranquil. It is designed to regenerate not only your body, but your mind. And there's a chef on site. It's beautiful plant-based meals. I did hear a rumor though, that there was a guest that was like, I need steak. And so they found like the most beautiful grass-fed, organic, local steaks that they could. And everyone I'm sure was jealous (laughs) that he was eating that and everyone else was eating plants. But the plant-based food was gorgeous The staff was amazing. We did these gorgeous alpine hikes almost every day, some up to 13 kilometers. I swam topless in these like cold crystal clear lakes and it was so invigorating. There were waterfalls. The people there that joined the retreat were from all over the world, but they were all on that same vibe of just like looking for a beautiful experience to, to help them with tools to bring into their everyday life. We did, so the way that their retreats work is that there's like an expert that goes each each session. And so it's six days and 
I chose the one with Laura from Wild Pilates, who is amazing. Shout out, Laura. My abs are still sore. And we'd start the morning with, well, they walk around and they've got like Tibetan singing bowls and that's how you wake up. There's no alarm clock. And then we did a 6.30 a.m. Pilates class and then you'd hike You had the chef cooking for you. There's a cold plunge. There's saunas. There's a massage that's included every day. It was so indulgent and amazing. And also it was, there were challenging parts. So it's not just like a chill retreat where you're just like hanging out, which I guess you could do, but that would take some of the, some of the intention and the fun out of it. It was, it is a place where you go for, for growth as well. And certainly on those hikes, I was like, questioning my life. (laughs) I was like, thank God I do the lighthouse walk in Byron most mornings because it was quite physical and a huge sense of accomplishment when I got back at the end of each hike and there was gorgeous food waiting and the amazing staff and breath work and the sauna and, and then a massage, right? So it was all totally worth it. I would highly, highly recommend. And the landscape of Queenstown, New Zealand is just simply breathtaking. So the founder, Damien, thank you so much for your generosity, all of your staff. It was an incredible trip and I still can't believe that I won it in an Instagram giveaway. So quite amazing. Let's jump into the episode today. So we have David Trewern. And when we start the episode, the interview, you'll hear him. We talk about how to properly pronounce his last name. But um, he is a former kite surfing world record holder, serial entrepreneur, and founder and CEO of Flightboard, a Byron Bay-based company, and he's now a Byron local. So what is a Flightboard? Flightboard is an electric-powered hydrofoil known as an e-foil. So it's got a mast that's partially underwater. And it looks like if you live in a surfing town or you live in a town where there's like a bay or a body of water and you see those people who look like they're flying over the water, that could be a flight board. And they glide silently just above the water. And if you live, well, in Byron, we actually get into this because I always thought the surfers down at Watagos were the ones on flight boards, but it turns out those guys are not on flight boards. They're on something different, which was a, a learning moment for me. But the electric foil started as a passion project for David, and now it's on nearly every super yacht in the world. As far as the experience of taking flight, as he says, some have likened it to snowboarding through fresh powder, and many have said it feels like flying. Others call it the thrill of a lifetime and magic, but the only way you can find out really how you want to describe it is to try it. And David talks about this towards the end of the episode. They've got about 400 locations around the world where you could try out a flight board. So the idea for this motorized hydrofoil arrived to David on a windless day in 2016 as what he calls a light bulb moment. And he thought, what if I didn't have to wait for the wind? What if I could just attach an electric motor to my foil? And then he goes into how that dream became a sketch and then a workshop. And then he a 3D printer comes in the mix. And dozens of prototypes later, David flew for the first time here at Byron Bay out at Belongel Beach, if you're familiar with Byron. And since then, get this, Flightboard has sold more than 10,000 boards in over 90 countries 
and generated $56 million alone in revenue in 2022, according to Forbes magazine. And again, Flightboard is based in Byron Bay, and they even do their manufacturing here, which is not an easy feat, as David will explain. We go into so much, not only the story of Flightboard, but we talk about how he gets his inspiration, how he stays inspired, what he sees as an entrepreneur are some of the most important aspects to get your idea going and to also stay the path. Because as you know, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're trying to act on an idea, passion is a big piece of it, but also dedication to your craft and dedication to your idea is another big piece. Uh, David talks about an interesting experience he had with some with a creature from the ocean and also the most interesting place that he has heard of, seen a flight board being used. Oh, that is so interesting. So typically this is the time when I'd say sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I will catch you on the other side. But I've got something a little bit different for you before we go into the episode. For those of you that have been listening to the show for quite a while, you know, we record all of the episodes pretty much 99.999% in a studio here on my property in Byron, in the Byron Bay area in a little pocket called Ewingsdale. And I wax poetic on the beauty of this area constantly. So for those of you who may be interested in becoming a part owner of a unique integrated property business, organic farming investment in the Byron Bay hinterland, or know of someone who this may resonate with, listen up. Midgard Mountain, an established 85-acre permaculture farm and mountain rainforest landscape, is seeking an equity investor to come on board with a primary share of a fully managed and maintained productive, resourceful, and beautiful, did I mention beautiful, rural property, and a self-sufficient, resilient sanctuary for the opportunities and challenges of the 21st century. It has abundant, pristine mountain spring water, freshwater creeks, swimming holes, food forests, gardens, orchards, accommodation, activity spaces, health and enviro technologies, and a hundred types of food and medicines. This flood, fire, and drought-proof landscape is located 10 minutes from Molenbimby, And you know, if you've listened to this show before, I love just to say the word Mullumbimby. And it's 20 minutes from Brunswick Heads and close to Byron and the Gold Coast Airport. Midgard Mountain can provide a range of personal use priorities for any investing partner while also delivering a broad-based return on investment, including income generation. That could be through guest experiences, health and well-being, venue hire, education, skills, training, and activities, all of which have been highly successful and popular over 15 years. So investment options provide a range of lifestyle, health, personal, business, and security benefits for any investing partner, and they welcome inquiries for anyone who this sounds aligned with. Do you want to find out more? You can express your interest via info at midgardmountain.com. That's info at M-I-D-G-A-R-D. M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N.com. I'll also put more info in the show notes. And I've got to say, this is the perfect episode for this to come out with because the time I spent at Aroha made me think of all of those like 
tech billionaires that have those bunkers in New Zealand and they have these self-sustaining properties in case the zombie apocalypse hits or who knows? I mean, no one thought that what was going to happen with COVID was going to happen. And so when I think of Midgard Mountain, I think of locations like that, that if the shit hit the fan, you'd have a place to go and so much more. So now we can jump into the episode, guys. And you know the drill. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and I will catch you on the other side. Is it Trewern? Is it Trewern? Is it Trewern? I don't know. And then I was talking to this guy who was who was Welsh. It's Welsh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, and, and it's like so hard to speak Welsh. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's Welsh. And he's like, it's Trewern. So I'm like, okay. You're but, like, and are you already going to introduce yourself but like don't that? don't say that. No, no, no. <laughs> just Trewern. Okay, Trewern. If we're in Australia, yeah. it's Trewern. Yeah. Yeah, well, welcome to the show. Yeah, we've. Um, I was saying before we started recording that you've been one of the most requested guests when I first started the podcast. Just and the reason was there are so many amazing people here doing incredible things, just like you. And people are like, "Do you know the Flyboard guy? Do you know the Flyboard guy?" And I'm like, "No." So one day I just walked into your showroom, and I met your your previous assistant, Chloe. Um, who was it? Jackie. Jackie. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was just like, "This is very unorthodox," but. I, I've seen your your flight boards, you know, in Watagos forever, and everybody wants to hear his story. So how do we get this happening? And I think it's been about a year. And just on that one, the ones you saw at Watagos wouldn't be flight boards because, oh. yeah, yeah, they're surf foil, so they don't have motors um, because we can't use flight boards at Watagos. So, so our boards have a motor. You can use it in a lake or a river or anywhere. Um, you can use it in the bay, but we've got a special permit um, because it's powered. So around to the pass and the guys you see out at water goes are surf foiling. So they're, they're paddling, catching a wave. When they're up, it looks exactly the same, but, but um, yeah, it doesn't have a motor. Oh, oh, look at us. Yeah, like you literally you're already dropping it. knowledge right into it. <laughs> well, um, I'd love to hear a bit about just to start how you grew up, where you grew up. It was before we jump into that though, we were at water goes and just talking about the the small town nature of Byron and the one degree of separation. I met your brother, Andrew, two days yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, yesterday. And everyone had their flight board shorts on shirts on. And I was like, hey, do you know David? And he's like, yeah, that's my brother. And I'm like, oh, so he was giving me some downloads with your story. And um, and so I was like, oh, well, you got to give me the dirt on how we're going to how we're going to make David cry. And he, he's like, you won't. So I don't know if he's integral to your story, but he was telling different things. It's cool that you guys work together. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's great. It's great uh, working working with my, my bro. Um, he's super creative and he's he's really brought a lot to, to the business. And and obviously we've got a, a, a very shared past, which is really helpful. Yeah. Well, how where did you guys grow up and how did you grow up? Yeah, well, prob- I mean, I lived in lots of different places, I think, um, I think I worked out. I lived. I lived in twenty different houses before I turned twenty, and um, my parents did anyway because I went to boarding school for part of it. But um, probably the main, the main place I grew up was Marimbula, which is a little town on the south coast of New South Wales, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm now in in Byron because you know I did that. I did that shift when I was at a pretty pivotal age in in kind of grade six, I think it was. Um, so probably ten or eleven, something like that. And it really had a big impact on me. And um, ever since then, I've wanted to be near the water and felt really comfortable at, on the coast and, and needed to be, you know, I, I sort of feel claustrophobic if I get more than a couple of kilometres inland. Yeah, <laughs> so, <same. laughs> so I need to be near the ocean. And, and But so growing up in Marimbula really is where my 
where, where my, you know, love of the water and water sports came from, um, surfing and, and windsurfing. And wind, Marimbula is a really big place for windsurfing. And I, I moved there in grade six and all the kids in my class were already great surfers and the Marimbula board riders was a pretty big thing. And so I was kind of playing catch up, trying to learn how to surf. And and then we've got a, there's a great lake in Marimbula and there's a really big windsurfing community there. They have this big international wave classic there every year. Uh, for windsurfing and so I learned to windsurf on the lake and that sort of became my own unique sport um I was still I was still surfing and and learning how to surf but I was kind of a couple of levels behind everyone else so (laughs) um (laughs) so windsurfing kind of became my thing and and from there that led to 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 kite surfing and kite foiling which eventually led to flightboard so but yeah that that kind of love of water sports really um happened when I moved to Marimbula and um you know, I used to love getting out on the lake and out in the waves and, you know, I'd go everywhere. It was sort of my, doesn't matter whether it was sort of 10 knots of wind or 25 knots of wind, I'd drag my sailboard across the road out into the lake and sail around the lake, go out in the surf and and that's what I did when I was growing up. And a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of time on my own just out on my, out on my sailboard, you know, and sort of contemplating and daydreaming, which I, which I, I'm, I'm big for, um, so yeah, that was a really pivotal thing for me growing up in Marimbula, and I think um, uh, since then I've always wanted to live somewhere like that. And 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 Byron is is very similar, but probably a lot more international and and diverse, which is great. Oh yeah, the vibe here is wonderful. That's what we talk a lot about on the show is just like the magic of this area and the people that it attracts and just the energy that it holds. And it does have that international flair. So it's a small town, but you don't feel like you're living in the boonies, you know? What were your parents like? My, my father was an architect, you know, really, really creative. He was a, a really successful architect. He passed away a few years ago. He, he was, uh, you know, again, really creative, very thoughtful, contemplative really empathetic sort of type of character. And, and you know, I, I never really heard him say a bad thing about anybody. I never really he, – he was, you know, I think very um, – probably the most non-judgmental person I've ever come across. He would just talk to anybody, you know, talk to people. I remember talking to people in the, the queue here, there and everywhere and, and just um, – which I, I really respected. You know, my mum was quite different, you know, she she and she lives just up in – in uh, in Benora Point, very energetic and a real go getter, and always wanting what's the next exciting thing, and and you know probably drove a lot of our moving around and just wanting things to be better, and probably a lot of that's in me as well in terms of just throwing both feet into anything I do, yeah. <laughs> and solving problems and just getting on with stuff and making things happen. So a lot of that sort of dynamic energy I think probably came from her, and I think there's a very reflective probably introverted side that probably came from from my dad. So, you know, real real opposites in a way. Oh, probably yeah, the got, perfect balance. Probably got both, yeah. Well, yeah, and there's this, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of different schools of thought in here in Byron. People, you know, explore more of the spiritual nature of our reality. And on this podcast, we talk about that as well. And there is one school of thought that when you're a soul, before you come in, you choose your parents. And because you want a certain experience, and that can be, an experience to have them trigger something in you that might be a bit more negative, as we say, you know, in the human world. Hum- yeah, well, we can go there. We, we get a bit existential on this podcast. <laughs> but um, uh, And also positive aspects that then lead you to the lessons that you, that you are desiring in this lifetime, if you believe that we're, 
you know, reincarnating and doing different things here and there. So if whether or not you believe that, let's say that you did, why would you say that you chose your parents on the opposite side? I get the positive side. It's like your dad's an architect, you know, he's soft. Your mom is energetic. She's a go-getter. Was there anything where you were like, oh, this might've been hard while I was going through it, but like, God, that taught me resilience or it taught me this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, look, I think, my, I mean, my, look, a, a bit about my father. I mean, he was um, really, really creative, very tuned into things and, and probably hypersensitive. And I think, and he ended up having a, a, pretty much had a nervous breakdown probably around the age of 40 and didn't really work after that. And that had a huge impact on me growing up because I sort of saw him in, and I was sort of like, whoa. I mean, he was just, he had pretty, pretty extreme anxiety is, is what was underlying all of that. And so, but I think, you know, I really, I really believe that, you know, every, it's like the dark and light, you know, it's, a, it's your strength is your weakness. And so that was really his weakness and it really impacted him uh, right throughout his life after that. He, he really struggled quite a bit after that and had a huge impact on me and probably on, on my brother as well. But I think um, the, the, the strength though is that, you know, I really respect his ability just to, again, be non-judgmental and just observe things and just be kind of, there was a, you know, again, I think that real creative aspect is, is the other, is the other aspect of that, you know, and, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't not want that, you know, there's an ability to probably perceive and experience things in a more extreme way than people that don't have that level of sensitivity, if that makes sense. So that's a real, I think, you know, that that's kind of, I suppose, the, the strength I see there. Um, and that was definitely my my sort of fear growing up. You know, I'm pretty sort of anxious as well, and I probably had something similar happen a few years ago. And um, and my mum's probably very very much the opposite. You know, she's very resilient. So I think um, that that jump in with do- both feet, dynamism, resilience, probably <laughs> gave me the you know the 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 tools to be able to then just push on, put my head down and push on when, when I had sort of similar, similar things happen to me and just go for it. And, and the big, um, you know, cause I definitely had a pretty challenging period before I came to Byron. That was one of the reasons why I came to Byron. I got really burnt out from a previous business, had a bit of a crisis. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> we'll go into that. <laughs> and ended up up here, but then kind of, again, with that kind of optimism, got obsessed with this idea of flightboard and I jumped in with both feet and and as my wife sometimes says it <laughs> sort of rewired my brain over through the process over the last six or seven years you know having something really interesting to focus on like that that rebuilt confidence and I just got more and more into it and and ended up in this you know fe- feeling like I really feel very grateful for where I'm at now I've got lots of opportunities and things that, that have come from building the business and um, but I feel like that's payback from from again pushing through the pushing through the darkness <laughs> and and facing my fears, I suppose, and and just and getting on with it with uh, with a really um, energetic and positive mindset. Oh yeah, you you hit the nail on the head, and thank you for sharing that. I think that the reframe, especially in when you're an entrepreneur, is huge, and when you're wanting to act on an idea and you've never done something like that before. And it takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of, well, naivete (laughs) because you're like, if I knew what I was getting into, I probably never would have done this. But I think the reframe as a reflection point for the listener is so important because 
you can, as I was saying before, like our human mind assigns good and bad to things. But really, when you look back in hindsight, it's like, oh, everything was good because it led me to this point. So I find the quicker that I can reframe what's happening in the moment, then the sooner I can get to the gold. I don't know if that's been your experience, but it sounds like yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, like, I think confidence is something that you just chip away at and it grows just in the background slowly. But yeah, the naivety is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you need it or you wouldn't do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's that's obviously a common saying about entrepreneurs. If you knew what was really involved, you wouldn't do it. And if it, without that naivety, yeah, you wouldn't take on these ridiculous challenges. But I think, um, you know, it was an interesting time when I, I moved up here and and I, I was in I was involved in, a, in another business that was successful, but it was a little bit toxic for me in terms of the relationships and things in, in that business. And was this and, the universities with the yeah, five? That, Andrew told me in the yeah, queue. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was an incredible journey, and we went from twenty five people to two hundred people in eighteen months, and it was unbelievable. But you know, I was just probably a bit out of step um, with my. Again, I, I, I sort of ended up in a situation where I felt a little bit powerless and a little bit overcome with what was going on and, and not being able to control it. And that was sort of what led to me, you know, having a bit of a <laughs> bit of a crisis, I suppose. And I came up here wanting a fresh start and just wanting to have a year off with the family. You know, I moved up here with my wife and our two kids. We've got a place, an amazing place, you know, small but amazing right on, you know, at Belongel, which is great. And, oh, and that's great. Yeah, it's, and um, so, <laughs> um, so that was that was a pretty that was a pretty easy start in terms of overcoming some of the probably being at rock bottom before that. But I think. Um, yeah, one of one of my things was was really just I changed I really consciously changed my mindset because I'd really sort of been at rock bottom and going a little bit left field here. But there's a there's a guy that I, I um, when I worked in my business before that, there was a, a digital marketing agency. He used to do he, he was actually a monk and he was also a McKinsey consultant at one point as well. And wow. he used to do this kind of um, resilience training in in corporate environments and sort of meditation tra- training in in corporates. And so when I had my little moment. I was talking to him in the background and one of the things he was saying to me through all of our various conversations was, you know, people have like sometimes have um, like a New Year's resolution. He said, you know, another way another way of sort of doing that is just have a word that's your word. And um, I thought pretty hard about what my word was going to be for the year ahead living in Byron and my word became whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever, nothing bothers but me. I th- exactly, yeah. Okay, but cool. I think for someone who's probably quite anxious and kind of worried about everything and kind of overcome by a whole lot of stress, you know, that that became really powerful. And so that really just like whatever, you know. And so without that I wouldn't have been able to start Flightboard because I didn't know what I was doing. I had that naivety and I was like, this is going to be cool, but I really have no idea how to do this. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know how to make a product. I don't know how to produce a product. I don't know how to sell a product around the world. I've got no idea, but whatever. I'm just going to get up tomorrow and do some cool stuff and see what happens, you know. And so that was a really, you know, um, it's like the complete opposite of where my head was at a year earlier where I was just kind of worried and anxious about everything, you know. So it's really that whole that was really powerful to just sort of put myself in this headspace. I mean, and, and again, in, incredibly fortunate to be able to be in that position where I didn't have to, I wasn't paying, you know, I had a, I had a year where I didn't have to pay the rent and, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in Belongel. Yeah, I'd, exactly. <laughs> You're I'd, like, this is great. So again, I'm, I'm really aware of that too, but I'd, I'd sort of, but I suppose everything is on a scale. So I'd sold out of a previous business and I'd, I'd, I'd created this space for myself for a year. Oh, so um, you sold the the 
yeah, business, that's right. the yeah, university yeah. business. Yeah, okay. that's right. Moved up here for a year and, I, and that was my plan. I've been working since I was 23, running my own businesses since I was 23, never had any time off. I'm having a year off, which I feel grateful that I could do. But I suppose anybody could do that to, to a certain extent. You've just got to kind of scale things back a bit, which again, um, sounds a bit ridiculous saying we're scaling things back living in Boulanger, but, <laughs> but, we, but we were, you know, well, compared to our previous life in Melbourne, you know, and so we, we left... 150 boxes in storage in Melbourne. We moved up here and we built a veggie patch in the backyard and, you know, simplified things a lot and and just had this attitude of whatever, you know, and I, I bought a 3D printer from Aldi and taught myself CAD and and um, as I got into this flightboard journey, I just kept thinking, I don't really know what I'm doing. This is, I'm putting myself in the most stressful position of my life, but whatever, I'm just going to keep doing it and have, <laughs> have, have fun with it, you know, and so that I feel like, again, I was really, I've been really rewarded by that from, I feel like, you know, the universe <laughs> rewards us for learning and expanding and pushing forward. I feel like that, that's been my reward of, of really, again, sort of facing fears and, and, and just creating despite having been in a difficult period for a couple of years before that. You know, and part of that was, you know, within, within the same kind of 12 to 18-month period, my father passed away, my stepfather passed away. I was in a real lot of strife, you know, in, in the business that I was in. It was a really difficult situation. And just that midlife crisis that you have when... Yeah, <laughs> that everybody has. Everything's well, <laughs> like, wow, everything's just going pear-shaped and I'm responsible for all of this stuff. And all so that, that kind of led to a real crash and then came up here and it sort of being in nature and looking at the ocean every day just sort of reframed everything with the whatever and and then having this picture in my head of this board flying around without without needing a kite or without waves and um and just waking up every day and being present and going whatever I'm just going to do some cool things today and see what happens and and then yeah so then 6 7 years later here we are. <laughs> oh, well, no. And there's like, here we are. That's a lot just... of work between now and then, <laughs> but like a lot of work, like unbelievable, but yeah. But but you um, followed your vision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, well, the first question I have is, would you, did whatever apply to your wife too? Was she like, don't, don't whatever me. <laughs> like, Hey, I need you. I have my honeydew list for you. And she's like, and you're like, whatever. Like oh, well, how, how far did out did that extend? Oh, uh, look, I think, um, yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she, she was a, uh, a, a, a big supporter in that. Okay. In fact, um, little thing on my wrist here. My wife gave me that, and um, it's like a, we'll describe it for the listener. It's like oh, black it's leather. Little, it's just a little leather bracelet, but yeah. it became my whatever bracelet, right? When I get a bit overwhelmed by stuff, I just look at that and whatever. <laughs> nice. So, so she bought me that. So she's very much on board with the whatever plan. <laughs> well, and she's like, you got us to Belangel, so like we're good yeah, <laughs> with yeah. the veggie patch. Well, can you talk to us about the, um, what I love is that initial point when you get the inspiration and you're like, is this going to be the thing? I don't know. Like, uh, and you kind of, I don't know if, if you at first kind of go, well, it can't be the thing because for you, maybe you thought I just sold my business and I'm trying to just chill. And now I'm getting these visions of people flying without the, you know, flying over the water without waves, without wind. And it's like, oh, cause you've done another business before, you know, that it does involve work. So do you remember some of those early moments when you're getting this vision? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, Bring one, us in. It, was, it was just one moment, but oh, there was a couple of things that led up to it. But so we moved to Belongeau. Um I've been, again, from when I lived in Marimbula, obsessed with water sports, you know, surfing, um, so we moved to Belongeau and, and I'm out in the water five times a day initially for the first few months. I'm, I'm surfing, longboard, shortboard, stand-up paddleboard. I'm kite surfing when I can. And then we start coming into winter and all of those onshore winds 
disappear, which is great on one sense, but then I can't go kite surfing. So I'm right into my first ever year off since I was 23 at the age of whatever age I was, probably 44 or something like that, I think. And then I'm like, I can't go kite surfing. This is crazy. Like I'm, I'm living here on the water. I've got this incredible bay in front of me, but the wind is offshore and I can't launch my kite and it's not going to happen. And I've just been working so hard to be able to do this. So I started thinking, well, how can I get out on the water? I remember one day I saw this petrol powered surfboard thing ride past and I thought, well, that's kind of cool, but it's kind of not because it's so loud and noisy and obnoxious. And so that's really not it. And, um, but it was intriguing, you know, and then um, I went to a kite, a kite foil I, got, I was really into kite foil racing. So this is racing on a race course on a foil with a kite. Can you describe a foil for the listener? So it's just a, it's a surfboard with a big mast with a, with a wing under the water like an aeroplane. And, and when you get going fast, the, the wing under the water takes off like a plane. And so the board ends up um, 50 centimetres to a metre above the water. And that's what you see out at water goes. You have people with a surf foil. And so you add a kite to that and you're powered by the wind and then – put that in a race on a race course. Oh, you could fly. <laughs> and you're flying. Yeah. And you've got 40 people out on a race course doing, you know, 50, 60 Ks an hour. And 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 it's the fastest thing around a race course other than America's Cup sailing boat. Like it's incredible and it's so exciting. And so I was really into that in Melbourne. I came up here, couldn't really do it here because it wasn't the right conditions. But I went to Sail Brisbane, which is a, a race event up in, in Moreton Bay. And we had the same thing up there. Was, I think that was kind of maybe April, May, 2016, we had no wind. And so I'd sort of gone away for the week, left my wife with the kids and it was sort of like I'm on my week away and and there's no wind and I'm like, this is so frustrating because I've finally got a chance to go and do my do what I love all week without distractions and there's no wind. So that's when I had this idea of we were trying everything to get out on the water. We were towing each other with ropes and going out behind boats and every time a puff of wind would come through, we'd launch our kites and they'd fall out of the sky and we'd be swimming and I thought we should put a motor on one of these things, you know, because I knew I knew that um, once you're up on the foil, you needed hardly any power because the foil, the hydrofoil is so efficient. Like it, you know, you 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 just need very little power once you're up on the foil. So because of like the just the nature of physics, that yeah, the just, nature of physics. You've got okay. this little aeroplane under the water, mm. and water is seven hundred times or so denser than air, and so it's just working like a plane. But you can have a, a plane that's like one seven hundredth of the size, <laughs> you ah, know, to, yeah. to, and, and you can be going a lot slower for it to work and that's how the physics works. So it's so, it's so incredibly efficient and that's why you can be kite surfing with a hydrofoil in probably five or six knots of wind where if you're, if you're kite surfing with a regular surfboard, you, you probably need, you know, 12, 15 knots of wind because you just need so much less power. So my thinking was, wow, we could just get going. We could put a motor on this thing. Imagine, and then I just had this vision of, Imagine riding around on our hydrofoil boards without a kite. That would be unbelievable with a little hand controller. I drew a little picture on my iPad and I sent it to my wife and said, I'm going to build this. And she's like, what? <laughs> and, <laughs> she's um, like, what about whatever? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, um, and then I started driving around that afternoon trying to find, I was going to buy like a trolling motor, like an electric motor from a boat shop. Okay. Which would you use for like a tinny or something? What yeah, exactly. Would you? For okay. fishing. Yeah. And, and my naivety was... This afternoon, I'm going to have it set up on my board. And I'm going to be riding around. You know, yeah. it's going to be awesome. And um, little did I know that I needed ten times the power of a trolling motor, and it was going to take me another uh, probably eighteen months until I had a working prototype. So, um, but that's where the idea came from. Wow, 
That's incredible. Well, and I think a great reflection point for the listener is that sometimes you get in, put into situations that are less than ideal so you can see the opportunity in them. So you were, you know, an avid kite surfer and sailor and you go on this holiday and you're like hoping to get some time in the water doing your thing and you're like, there's no wind. And someone might get so focused on the fact that there's no wind that they're like, oh, I'm just going to go to the pub and drink my sorrows away. But you're like, where's the opportunity in that? And I think that for people in general, the universe is always, you mentioned the universe, so that means that we can talk about it. (laughs) Um, I always try to feel out first. I'm like, where can we go? But um, the, the universe is always giving us signs through everything. Through people that we meet, we get messages through, you know, serendipities, synchronicities, and through no wind. The universe is like, hey, we have, we're cooking up something so good for you. And your soul knows it too, but like your human mind is like, all right, what's happening next? This is uncertain, you know? And so I think for the listener, it's a good reminder that when you're in a situation where you're like, things aren't working out and it's not going as I'm planning, it's because there's a redirect that's coming, you know? So... I just wanted to to have that point for them. So, all right, it took you 18 months. Does this involve a lot of patents or patents for our American yeah, listeners? Yeah, so, so, you know, I, start, I, I really had no idea how to how to do this, and I had this very clear picture in my head, and I thought this is just going to be the coolest thing on the planet. It's going to be awesome. Flying around, and, and again, it was like I can be out on the bay and enjoying the bay away from everyone else on my own, like I was when I was a kid windsurfing in Maroon, but like just out having some solo time with nature. And um, it's electric. It's not going to make noise. It's not going to pollute. It's going to be awesome. But I've got no idea how to do it. I've got no idea what kind of battery I need, how much power I need, what kind of propeller I need. Um, so I had no idea what I was doing. So I, I taught myself. I was motivated enough to. I downloaded some software and started teaching myself how to use CAD. Yeah. And oh, I, CAD's hard. Yeah. And I, yeah. You know, I was a graphic designer and and a web developer, and I was pretty pretty confident with computers and software and creating anything really and always making stuff and building things. And so, um, and then again, my, my mum rang me up and I was telling her about this crazy plan that I had. And she said, well, I just saw in the Aldi catalog that there are 3D printers on sale this week in Aldi. So I drove, I jumped in my car, like within about 10 seconds, I drove down to the Byron Bay Aldi and I'm like, do you have any 3D printers? And they said, yeah, we've got one. And so I bought it. It was $500. Oh my God. And, um, and Aldi's like a, um, a Vons for our American listeners. It's like a really small supermarket that's just like where you get really good deals. And it's not just food. It's like anything you can imagine. And so that's what an Aldi is. So this yeah. is, yeah, like a three, a $500 3D printer. And a week later I had little 3D printed props coming off my 3D printer and I was you know, making parts. and With stick- the 3D printer. With the 3D printer, Do they yeah. come out like this? Like, like, what's the material? Is it plastic? Good. Yeah, um, it started off being PLA, which is a type of plastic, and then um, moved to um, ABS, which is a stronger type of plastic. Okay, and how kinda, big? Yeah, like it's it's probably 60 centimetres square, and I had to kind of hotwire it a bit and make it run a bit hotter to print with the ABS and do a few. I mean, the internet's amazing, right? You can just YouTube anything and learn anything that you want in the world in like – half an hour. So that was my friend and um, started ordering motors off the web and and inverters that drive the motor and trying to find the right kind of batteries. Look, and then around that time, and there was nothing like this that existed, right? So the time I had this idea, I'm Googling and there's like nothing like this. I'm like, I can't believe no one else has thought of this. And then sort of probably, it was probably six months later, I saw a video that popped up on YouTube of, of, a, of a similar idea, but a really big board with like a, a cable and and so and and it's a guy called Don Montague who had developed 
the same idea and he had, he had these boards working in Fiji, these prototypes. I knew of him because he designed my first kite surfing kite that I bought and I bought it from him over the web when he was in Hawaii and um so you're friends we were friends but we knew you know I knew I knew who he was okay. and, and and I was a customer of his I suppose so then I was like oh wow someone's done something like this but it's not my idea my I really want this to be a small little board like my kite four board um he was really trying to make something that was much more much larger and more for a beginner and then probably Four or five months after that, another video appeared from our competitor. We've got one key competitor called Lift, and and I'd met this guy as well at a kite surf event. So he was at a, he was, again same kind of background. I'd met him at a kite surf event. He was from Puerto Rico. I'd met him at a kite surf event and had breakfast with him most mornings for for probably four or five days in Townsville. And he'd developed the same thing, and it was like, God, oh, that really is my idea. And so that there was a moment there of, oh, someone's already done it. And then I was like, well, we're not going to be first because I haven't got this thing working yet, but but you know we're going to be the best, and I'm going to innovate and use all my you know creative powers to, <laughs> to make something amazing. And so, um, so I really doubled down after that on okay, how can we do this differently and do it better and come up with unique ideas and come up with a whole lot of unique ideas. And that's where we then filed a number of patents for different aspects of it. And we've I don't know we've probably got 20 patents now in different parts of the world. So uh, that's a whole nother a whole nother world of, of patents. But I think um, yeah, so that just sort of spurred me on to. To um to do something amazing and I'd, I'd built a prototype already so I'd I'd work with a, a board shaper up in the Gold Coast to make the board I'd put together the motor unit, um, bought some off the shelf foils and a mast and things and and a skateboard remote and got a, a prototype working, probably in about August two thousand and seventeen. Um, and that was eighteen months after you got yeah, first got I, the idea. I wrote it for the first time out in Belongil out the front of my house and after about fifteen failed attempts where I just. Things were completely wrong. I didn't know what I was doing. I had the Bluetooth receiver under the water and all sorts of stuff that, you know, I know now, but I didn't know then. And I got it working and I was up on it straight away and I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is way better than I thought. And it was easier than I thought to ride. And then I started getting friends out on it and realised that initially I thought it was going to be a niche of a niche. You know, people that could already foil would do this, but then I realised that anybody can do it. Even people that can't surf, you know, are up on this thing in 45 minutes and it's blowing their mind because... You know, they've been they've tried to learn to surf and they couldn't, or they had an experience, but they can do this. And this is like they're up foiling above the water. They've gone straight to kind of level ten of water sports yeah. <laughs> in like one session, which is sort of mind blowing. So it makes them feel empowered yeah, and like absolutely, I can do this. absolutely, yeah. it's a real sense of achievement because it's it's challenging, you know, and it takes a bit of courage. But but it, but you know, I've I've taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and I've got everybody up and foiling in in an hour. People in the 70s, you know, kids, you name it, people that have done no water sports. There was a guy actually, we won a design competition and the judge, I had to create a video. I was in, Mal- I had to go to the States, I was in Malibu and we had okay. to create this, it was for California by Design, this TV show. And so there was a design judge and he turned up in this big black coat and he was a pretty big guy and he had his little round glasses on and he just looked like that typical kind of <laughs> um, designer. And and I said, so have you ever surfed before? No. Skateboarded? No. Not even as a kid? No. Snowboarded? No. Snow skied? No. Haven't done anything like that. Water skiing? No. And I said, have you ever stood on a moving object? And he said, he thought for a minute and he said, oh, a London bus. And I said, I can work with that. And, <laughs> and sure enough, an hour later, he was up and foiling, right, across the water in Malibu. And so he was like, this is, it just, and it completely blew his mind. So, Did you win the competition? Was it that kind of thing? 
Were yeah, you well, like- it started off as Australia by Design, and okay. we were the innovation of the the Australian innovation of the year. Congrats! And so it got entered into California by Design because we had gotcha. a, a US part of our business as well. So yeah. All right, and then um, you got him up. I'm imagining him someone that looks like. Dracula or something. Exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. and if I'm you could get Dracula on the whiteboard, <laughs> it's like you're winning. You can get anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, something that you said before when you were talking about, ah, oh, like the the idea came to you and then there were like other guys that were acting on it. It's kind of like what we're talking about with this, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And there, yeah. yeah, there's like this, um, I can't remember the book off the top of my head. I don't know if it's The Artist's Way or this other woman. And she talked about this concept, which I loved, and it was that... The wind like brings ideas to people. And if you're not, if you're not in the right place at the right time, or if you it's it's coming to to more than just one person at once. And so she always said, like, all right, there's this idea that's coming in. It's like a download, it's coming on the wind. So whenever she knew and this idea was coming, she'd like she was a writer. She'd run to her desk. And she's like, I need to write this down because if it doesn't land with me, it's, the wind is going to keep moving and it's going to go to someone else. But as you start to act on your ideas, it's a good reflection point for the listener that sometimes you are going to get competition and it makes you like, we're all a little different. And I'm sure that your main competitor is a lift, yeah. lift. Yeah. Like there, are, I'm sure that there are nuances to their product that make it. So you have a, the lift customer loves their oh, absolutely yeah and there's, there's, there's really big differences and 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 again um we got you know i got really really clear on what i wanted to create and who it was for and it was for me really it was a pretty indulgent project to begin with <laughs> well and, it should be know. that's where all the passion comes from <laughs> and for me you yeah. know i love innovation i love technology i love design i love electric cars i love you know um tech stuff i love the ocean i love water sports i love furniture design i love architecture and so you know our product is really it's the intersection of all of those things. Like what an awesome thing to work on. It's like a, a water sports craft um, using like advanced composites, carbon fiber and aluminium and, and so forth. That's got an app that goes with it. That's got all of this crazy cool software. It's, it's kind of like a Tesla cross between a surfboard cross, you know, like it's all the things that I love. And, and, um, and, and again, you, you mentioned serendipity before there's been so much serendipity in it. And uh we, we recently launched a, a board, like a super high-end premium board that we wanted to create with a designer called Mark Newson, who's who's a, who's a top designer. and He's like, oh, we'll do it, wait, wait, till yeah, the listeners yeah. know. It's like he's done like Hermes, Apple, uh, Louis Vuitton. Like he's he's designed spaceships, shoes, everything, right? Everything. Yeah. yeah. He's regarded as the world's greatest living designer. He's got the um, – he's an Australian designer, lives in London, but he designed a um, – uh, like a chaise lounge called the Lockheed Lounge in in the nineties in in Sydney, was used in a Madonna film clip. He made ten of them, and I think that's got the record for the highest priced object sold at auction by a living designer. So he made ten of them, and I think the last one sold for you know over two million pounds. And so he, he's working on the electric Ferrari at the moment. But he's just he's a guy from Sydney who grew up surfing and loves anything interesting and. Um, so the funny serendipity story here, and this is just like, again, this, I really, you know, you've got this intention and doing things for the right reasons and creating and um, facing challenges and fears and just getting on with stuff. And I think you get rewarded for that. And I think in this situation, I was in Europe on a holiday um, and I was writing this little business plan for myself for this, this is sort of late, this is in 2017. So I had the idea I'd be working on prototypes, hadn't got it working yet. I was in Europe for, in the European summer for a couple of weeks on a holiday with the family 
and I saw these yachts and I'm like, well, this is kind of, this is a perfect audience for, for the product. And I started writing down the kind of the intent of the product and the brand and what we wanted to do. And because I studied design at university and Mark Newson was a real hero of mine when I was, when I was at uni. So I wrote down the first line of my business plan was Mark Newson um, styled organic contemporary design. So that was, I wrote that onto my business plan and then um, 2019, so we're up and running, we're selling boards, everything's happening. Um, there, I was in the States for a holiday. I was in, in uh, uh, January 2019, February. I came back from the States. I'm sitting in the Qantas seat on the plane, which Mark Newson designed. I'm watching the screen. Mark Newson pops up talking about his new um, R.M. Williams boot that he designed and I thought, wow, imagine working with Mark on a flight board. Wouldn't that be awesome? That was my idea of my business plan that, you know. And so I land and there are all these bushfires going on in all around Australia. So we did a fundraiser, right? So we we auctioned a flight board, a custom-designed flight board by an Indigenous artist, and we raised $100,000 in a week for the bushfires. And we sold $2,050 raffle tickets and they all came into my email inbox. And my assistant at the time was – deleting all the emails because there's like 2,000 emails in a week coming in that are just cluttering up my inbox. And so I didn't see 99% of them. But I'm sitting at my desk and one just came into my inbox and in about three seconds before it got deleted, I saw that it was Mark Newson's name. And so I emailed him back and I said, hey, Mark, you just bought a raffle ticket. You don't know me, but I'm the founder of Flightboard. And I had this weird daydream on the plane last week that we are working on a new Flightboard. And by the way, good luck with the raffle. And he wrote straight back and said, I've got one in my shopping cart. I need some advice on which one to get. You know, are you looking for any investment? You know, I'd love to get involved when you're coming to London, you know. Oh, <laughs> like assumptive. He's like, yeah. wait, wait, like yeah. call me, bro. All right. Yeah, so that's where that is incredible, right, serendipity from just weird, right? So anyway, and then we spent the last three years working on this product together, which is – but there's been so many things like that that have happened throughout this whole project, like it's unbelievable the amount of serendipity that has been. And I really feel like that has been this, and that's a great example of like, we're both supporting this charity and, you know, it's sort of, um, I don't know, just a reward for, I suppose, you know, following your heart, doing something with a lot of heart and intention. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really been, it's been, it's been some big lessons in that. Oh, that's an amazing story. It's, um, it, I really feel like, well, I, I know, I don't even feel it anymore, that synchronicities, serendipities, it's the universe's way of saying, you're on the right path. And a lot of times we can get so wrapped up in just doing and the rat race and creating that we forget to kind of stop and really acknowledge the magical aspects of our reality because it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be playful, you know, and, and everything that you said about that story, it's like, oh, the universe being like, hey, and you wrote it down. That's a great reflection point for the listener too. We talk about this a lot, but there's something so powerful about writing things down. I love quantum physics and it says we're all just energy vibrating at different frequencies. And I know when I, I mean, our, our thoughts have a frequency, but there's something about writing it down, the frequency that puts out to like, you know, the master computer of this reality. And it's like, okay, that's your desire. I'm going to bring that to you. And it's like, boom. And what was the, what was the time between when you were, um, when you wrote that down and then starting to collaborate with him? What was the time frame? It was probably 18 months, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. And is he like as nice as you thought it was going to be? Oh, it's, it's been great to work with. Awesome. Okay. We did this big launch a couple of weeks ago in in, in London and, um, 
yeah, and he's been great to work with and, and you know, really creative and really curious, like asking all these interesting questions about how the product will be used and ideas about what we can do with it next. So it was, was, a, was a real highlight for me through, um, through Flightboard and through my whole career really. But I think, you know, I, re- I, really, I really have learned a lot from this whole project and I suppose on reflection, you know, I, re- I really – and we talk about the universe and it sounds – you know, it, it, but it, but it's obviously there is a system. You know, and whether it was designed or not, there's a system, and there's ways that things happen, and that system has led, you know, multiple people to have a similar idea at a similar time, and 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 um, and and, and it, you just look at nature. And I often think about this that you know, I, a motivator for me, and probably more of a negative motivator. You, you, you imagine this herd of animals running across the. The plains in Africa. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm imagining it. Yep, we're, we're in the Serengeti. Up, there's one up the front going, "Let's go," you know. Let's go, and he's going to be fine. There's one down the back going, "Oh, this is really hard, and it's really tough." And which one's going to get eaten by the lion? The one down the back, you know. So I think, and the nature doesn't really care because it's kind of the way that, that things are. It's kind of there is a certain amount of harshness as well, and survival of the fittest and everything else. So I think, I, I think while there is this magical kind of intention and serendipity and all the rest of it there's another aspect to this which has been it's been really really hard and taken almost superhuman determination like it's it's it honestly has been so incredibly difficult and but without that kind of vision and that dream and that passion it wouldn't have happened you know because a large part of the last six or seven years has been has been wow we've got a hundred staff and we don't really and we're going to lose a million dollars this month or or we can't get any stock because it's COVID, or or the shipping has switched from one month to six months, and that's going to cost us millions of dollars. Or we're going to run out of cash in four months. Or you know, it's been incredibly challenging as well. You know, and I think it's important. I think it's really important that um, there's that balance between sort of believing in some of these bigger forces, um, but also not not just expecting the bigger forces to solve everything for you. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have to. You, well, it's like because, when they used to, yeah, it's yeah, not. As much magic as there is, there's also a real harshness as well, and that's just the way that the, way that the world is, right? So it's the it, duality, like you yeah, were saying. Yeah, and so that jumping in with both feet and commitment and just kind of never say die. And, you know, I was getting up in the morning. I was waking up at 5 in the morning and, like, what am I going to do today? And this every, was during your year off. And I'm still doing it now. Exactly, doing my year off. Okay. I'm still doing it seven <laughs> years later <laughs> in my year off, which is like I'm trying to cram it. Like what's the best use of 12 hours today or 15 hours today to get this done? And it's all been super enjoyable, but it's it's been intense as well. So, And that's why I think for anyone starting a business or any entrepreneur, like you have to – I mean this is a, a bit of a cliche, but – You've got to really be passionate about what you're doing because it's it's not going to be easy, you know. It's it's and if it if it's easy, then someone else has probably already done it all. Exactly, <laughs> someone's going to do it better than you. So it's you know. But I think the challenge is part of the reward, right? It's um you've almost got to treat it like a. I, I believe you've got to treat it a bit like a game and have fun with it. You've absolutely got to have a passion for what you're doing because it's going to be really hard. Uh, particularly if you're doing something pioneering that hasn't been done before, you've got a different edge or a different angle. You're in uncharted territory, you know, and so, and you've got to, and when you, as the team grows, you've got to lead all that, that team with you. You know, every everyone's going to come to work with all these doubts every day, and you've got to be the kind of fearless, you know, get out in front. And and again, I I, I think equal parts. You know, my understanding of my, my observations about what's around us is that this incredible magic. And things going on in the universe that we don't understand, which are incredibly powerful. But there's also this real harshness as well, where 
it's all expanding and progressing and evolving and and so it, it just takes that real real commitment as well. So do something that you love, otherwise you, you will give up because <laughs> it's gonna be hard. So and what could what could I love more than a flying surfboard, you know, design working on that with my favourite designer, living in Byron Bay, working doing it, you know, and, and shipping them around the world and going to these events all over the place and, and dealing with incredible, incredibly interesting customers and like I, I couldn't think of anything that would be inspire me more than that, but it's still been really hard. So, you know, yeah, do something that you love. Oh, 100%. Well, and that's part of the the human experience. It's like follow your passions, find what you love, and then continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and build more on, you know, you can call it source energy, you can call it creative power, whatever it is. It's just like keep evolving. You know, and that's mm. what we want to do. And that's what this experience is about, in my opinion. Um, with the... With the the harshness that you're talking about, I know you said that previously you dealt with some anxiety, which is what brought you to Byron. So now going into this new business, and now obviously you've been an entrepreneur before, you've built another business, you've sold it. What tools besides reframing in nature did you bring in with you to help you manage that? Like, are you like timing your days down to the 30 minutes and you're, you're like a, well, how, what kind of like hacking are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think, I think the really big one for me is just trying to put myself into that flow state and setting up my day and creating space for myself to, to unlock the creativity. You know, I think from, again, I've only ever been the boss of my own business for 27, 28 years. And that whole time, you know, I've, I've had four businesses. Um, the first one grew to about 300 people. Um, the next one was concurrently happening at the same time, probably had 20 staff. And then the one after that probably had 250 staff. And, you know, so there's a lot of response. The point is it's, it's, that's, it's a lot of responsibility. And, and every minute of every day, 20 of those people need you for something. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and, like you're the guy, you know, and, the buck stops with you. And it's really, it's draining, right? It, it, really, it really sucks a lot of energy out of you. By being a leader, you, you're, you know, you're signing up to give other people energy the whole time, right? Whether you're the leader of your family, the leader of your business, the leader of your group of friends, whatever it is, you know, as a leader, you are giving other people energy. You've got to kind of learn how to protect your own energy and rebuild your own energy if you're going to be in that kind of position. Otherwise, there's nothing left, you know. So I think what, what I've really learned to do, my hack is really to create space for myself. I do it in the morning. I wake up, you know, I wake up sort of 5.36 I tend to not have meetings before 10 o'clock and there's kind of four hours there where I'm typically working but I'm doing it my way on my own without distractions and without other people and that's when I kind of set myself up for the day and then usually from 10 o'clock until 7 o'clock at night I'm dealing with being bombarded with all these different things that I've got to just maintain stamina and, <laughs> yes. and, and almost be on other people's agenda for most of the rest of the day but up until that period of 10 o'clock it's kind of my my time, my agenda. And so. Are you like making a cup of coffee and like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine you in your kitchen. I know what Belanger looks like, which is well, such look, a beautiful. I get, out, I get out of the house pretty quickly. Um, not for any reason that I want to get, I, I want to get outside and, and kind of, you know, I, I'm probably a deep thinker. I'm thinking about everything all at once, you know, thousands of things all at once. And so I'm looking for the clarity. That's the important thing for me. You know, what I've learned for myself to get the most out of my own performance, to be able to achieve what I want to achieve it's not about sitting down and having a schedule and ticking things off. For me, it's getting the clarity. And so I'll typically try and go for a run, go for a flight board, those two things, or do yoga, you okay. know, 
probably not as often as I should, and read the paper as well. And I find Which one. Um, well, it's funny because I'll, I'll read the Echo and the Financial Review at the same time, right? You couldn't get you couldn't get more opposing worldviews from no. that, but it's it's great, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like I feel like I'm connected with the broader world, yeah, with the with the Financial Review and what's going on, and and the, and then you know the Echo is bringing me back to to Byron Bay, <laughs> to Byron Bay. So and they're I like, think, we're saving the mosquito population in this pocket of trees, so we told the developer no, <laughs> you know, exactly. This but I, native I feel like frog, I'm getting yeah. this great perspective on on everything from yeah. from that. But it, it's not so much about, and I'm I'm learning and picking up a lot of stuff from reading. But I think that I've got a busy brain, right? And I think for me, it's about being present. And in a funny way, when you're focusing on the word, the next word on the page, it's slowing your brain down, you know, because you're just, you're there. Like, I feel like reading is such a great thing just to slow your brain down. Um, when I'm out flightboarding or I'm running, it's the same thing. You know, I'm so consumed in what's going on, where I'm at, my heart rate, I'm running, the water, is there a shark, is there a turtle, what's happening? <laughs> um, Have you that- seen a shark out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like one that could bite you? Not a big one. Oh, okay. actually, that's not true. <laughs> no, I have. <laughs> you have. Um, you- yeah, I've been circled by one, but that's another story. But the um, that was a few years ago, kite foiling, and and yeah, I got I got probably three circles by a, I think it was a mako shark. It was definitely big enough to bite me, and it, it came in at me a couple of times and then turned away. So where were you? In- just out Bolonjal, yeah. Oh, you were. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Uh, who's that girl? Um, some. Ocean Ramsey, she's the one who like tells you what to do when a shark comes. Where you like, I'm channeling Ocean Ramsey. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, I tell you, yeah, 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 yeah. What did uh, what came to your mind when he came <gasps> when the shark came at you? Like, well, it was it was like, like I'm paranoid of sharks, right? Like oh, it's my biggest weirdest weird phobia, and it's like that thing is happening that I've always worried about being out in the water all the time, and you always wonder how you're going to react. Well, I was sort of in this weird serene stillness while I was panicking like a freak at the same time. Like it was just both at the same time. It was was like, it like hmm? It was kind of like this is incredible. Look at that amazing creature. And this is like time stopped, right, in, amazing. Like boom, like I'm a caveman, this is incredible. At the same time with like get onto my board fast and go and I totally stuffed it up and went over the front of my board and fell in again and oh. and it's like, God, I'm, I'm really – I've done what I. You always wonder how will you react. Uh, yeah, in you these faced situations. your biggest fear. How will you react though? You yes. know, like if there's a, if some crisis, like, well, I didn't react well. So you failed. <laughs> failed. <laughs> but um, he decided he didn't want to eat you for breakfast. Yeah, I think he was after my foil because it looks like a fish. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, and mako sharks, you know, I think they can be dangerous, but they, I think it was chasing me because and mako sharks are one of the only sharks I believe that will chase at speed. You know, a lot of other sharks are scavengers and they're, and they're opportunistic. So okay. I think that's what it was. But um, So he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to chase that fish. And then it was <laughs> you. And he's like, damn it, I don't want to eat a human. <laughs> yeah. But look, really, for me, it's like, again, reserving time in my morning for that yeah. kind of flow state. And what I find is that I'm doing all this thinking nonstop, right, when I'm trying to sleep, when I'm trying to do everything, thinking, 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 writing notes, processing all this stuff. And then my goal is every morning just to put, all I need is like, 15 minutes of of just presence and flow state and then everything that I'm thinking about just slots into place in my brain. And I've, I've got this funny thing where I'm, I'll be running and I'll be having ideas and it's like, stop having ideas, you're meant to be running, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the more I try and stop having ideas, the more ideas, ideas I have. And it's like, stop, you know, just, just be here and now, run, focus on your running and then I'll go to a cafe, I'll read the paper, you're not at work yet, stop having ideas. And the more I read the paper, the more I have ideas. And then what usually happens at the end of that whole process that might go for an hour and a half of kind of 
you know, doing what I want to do in the morning to kind of get myself into my kind of happy place for the day. Um, I'll pull out my notepad and I'll write down five bullet points and it's kind of like I've, I've done for the day. Like that's actually, that's the clarity I needed for the whole day, you know, which which actually came automatically, it, you know, because I really believe that no one sat down and said, right, have a creative idea and had a creative idea. You know, you've got to create the environment where your brain does this automatically, you know, because it's it's kind of coming from somewhere else. It's coming at a different level that you can't control consciously the way that we can do other things. It's not like, do, do you know what I mean? So, Oh, yeah, it's yeah, like divine yeah. inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, so, so, again, I've been a creative my whole life. That's kind of my creative hack is, is I've learned to, you know, Create, put all the fuel in to the to the to the machine. You know, read, sit in the meetings, read the stuff, watch the videos, just process. Like, take on board all the information, and then try and find this moment of of peace where you're not expecting anything to happen. And actually, you're trying to make nothing happen. I'm actually <laughs> like, I'm not running, going. I'm running to have an idea. I'm running to run. But usually, what happens is the ideas when you create that space, then everything falls into place. All that processing you've done over the last 24 hours just slots into place and you have these really clear ideas and really clear thinking. And and then I go to work with purpose and intention for the rest of the day knowing, okay, this is what I've got to do today and I'm super positive and motivated and I can then give that energy to the rest of the team. I love all of that. Yeah, I didn't interrupt you because I'm like, these are great sound bites. <laughs> no, it's. I think it's important that making space for, just making space for inspiration to hit you. Because if your mind is clouded by, you know, I have to pick up the kids and I have to do that and I'm so busy and how am I going to pay this bill this month or whatever? It's like, you need to create that space and whatever it is to to allow the the inspiration to flow through like you. I think it's it's quite indulgent, right? But I think you need that. If like whether it's going for a walk or whether it's whatever you love doing that mm-hmm. where you that where you're completely in the moment. Have a cup of tea. Do that. Eat a piece of chocolate. It's the best investment you can make in having clear ideas, you know. Yes. I mean not everyone has four hours in the morning, but yeah. <laughs> I mean and not everyone is running like a multi million dollar global business too. Yeah. So and, look, go and, you. and look, and through that I'll still write twenty five emails and take four phone calls. And but the point is I'm I'm really trying to to not be in in a busy schedule in that period. Yeah. yeah. Well, you put in your dues, so you're allowed. <laughs> we'll give you a pass here. Um, I was reading on your site that you were you had an announcement that you're now collaborating with. No, you were acquired by the Brunswick Corps. So, what does that mean for your business, and how does that come up for the entrepreneur that's listening? That's like, I want to be acquired by someone. Like, it, like <laughs> that sounds like a, a great thing. So, how does that come about, and, and why did you choose them? Yeah. Well, look, they um, they approached us. Okay. Um, probably 18 months ago. And initially I said no for quite a long time, for <laughs> yeah. for probably a year. Um, because, you know, I really, th- this was really meant to be the, the intention was that this was going to be the long-term family business. This is my job for the rest of my life. This is what I've created my perfect job for myself, doing what I love. Um, that was always the intention. And so there was no, the business was, I never built the business to make money. I never built the business for commercial success. That had nothing to do with anything I wanted to do. In fact, in the early days, I was just making it for myself. And my wife was actually saying, you're not starting another business. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Don't worry. I'm just doing this for myself. <laughs> um, and that's what really, that really helped with the whatever thing as well. I mean, until it needed money and investment and, and I kind of funded it for the first year, um, then, I, then it was like, okay, this has got to be a business, but, you know, I'm going to have fun with it and, and do it my way. And and um, and then what happened with is that it really, that you know, th- that, that changed because the – 
the product actually became more more successful than I ever imagined. You know, we've now we've now delivered boards to people in ninety countries. We've we've delivered more than ten thousand boards. I think we've got an app and it tracks people's people can they can track their rides. And so we've had about three and a half million kilometers ridden on flight boards. Wow. Yeah. Three hundred thousand sessions around the world. Everywhere you can think of. We've got it in the app. You can see dots on the map of where people have been flightboarding. It's everywhere. Right. Wow. So there's people some guys, I mean, crazy stories, right? I could talk for hours about it, so I'll try not to. But <laughs> well, no, no, tell me one. Like, what's a crazy place that you're like? What comes to oh, mind first? A, a, when guy you said that? Sent, a guy who sent me a video of him flightboarding in a river system outside Kiev in Ukraine in a bulletproof vest with a machine gun, and he said, "David, we've got five of your boards. We're using them to patrol this river system to protect uh, Kiev." We often talk about that we've ended up with you know with a tiger by the tail, and so. This nice family business that was going to be my next 20 years running this nice family business became far bigger than I ever imagined. And unfortunately, with a lot of things, well, fortunately, fortunately, however you look at it, unfortunately, however you look at it, it became so successful that, you know, to com- to continue to survive and compete and be successful, the business has to grow, you know, like if, and I really believe that if you're not growing, you're, you're kind of dying. It's very hard there's a big focus in the world right now on sustainability, which I'm all for, but it, it, it just maintaining a constant is actually not really the way that the universe works, right? Like we're, we're either, it's, like, it's either expanding or it's shrinking, right? It, it, it's, it's not going to expand and then get to a point where it just stays the same for a billion years. It's not really how it works. So, um, so this became bigger than, than we ever intended. It needs a lot of cash flow. It needs a lot of investment. We're now competing in 90 countries. We spent a huge amount of money on R&D and patents and defending patents and all of that. And so, so yeah, it got to the point where it's like, well, am I really the right owner of, of this business? Is a, is a, am I the right owner? Like I'd love to just continue doing what I'm doing as a family business for the next 20 years, but the reality of the situation is it sort of went beyond that and it needed, it needed more resources. And at the same time, the vision for what this could become grew. You know, it, it started off, let's just make one for myself and some friends, and then it grew to let's make 100 boards and, the first business plan then became let's make 300 boards and you know break even on that and now we've sold 10,000 right that wasn't in, <laughs> that wasn't the intention at all and and now we're thinking well we're thinking much bigger about the fact that really on water things should be electric you know they shouldn't be petrol powered they shouldn't be diesel powered they shouldn't create noise and smoke and fumes and all of that co2 is getting pumped into the into the water from the exhaust of all these boats and jet skis and uh, you know, things should be electric, and for electric for electric power to work on water, it really needs hydrofoils to because they make things so much more efficient. Otherwise, the the, the battery that you need becomes sort of self defeating. It creates so much weight that sort of doesn't work. So we think that there's a huge opportunity here to kind of disrupt jet skis and disrupt small craft with electric motors, and and also have a real impact on 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 the environment. So that 10, 15 years from now, you know, when you're in a marine environment, whether it's at the beach or a lake or a river. It's not diesel smell and the noise of outboards. You know, it's um, uh, you know that that's that's kind of my dream anyway. That we have an influence on that, and I think that's something that. And so I don't have to. I can't do that on my own, right? It needs it needs broader resources, and so so yeah. So look, we were approached by Brunswick, the own Mercury, that, that they they're the biggest outboard maker in the world. You know, they they are on a mission as well. To um, that's a core part of their business, but they know that over time. Uh, that will you know they'll need to adapt as well and so 
you know, they're out looking for things that are electric powered and interesting and sustainable that may play a role in the way that their product and, and brands develop in the future. And so they were interested in us and and thought that they could bring their resources to this to help to help at scale. And again, for a long time, I kind of said no, and yeah. <laughs> without without and and again, we had we had thirty five shareholders and, and a board and everything. But I think we got to the point where it's like actually, if we want this to continue to expand, we need we need help and support, and we're probably not the right owners of this business for the next ten years if we really want this to live its full potential. And so. So yeah, so that was so there was a moment there of okay, let's kind of let's kind of go with this. And if we didn't, you know, we would have had to continue raising money and funds and, and like VC a, stuff or yeah, like exactly. angel investors. Yeah, yeah, we've probably gone beyond the angel investment thing now. And because you know, we, every year we've you know we we have to spend a lot of money building. We're manufacturing here in Byron Bay, which is cool, which is, which is cool but difficult. <laughs> well, is it because it's hard to get people to work here? Oh, like it, it's probably you could you probably couldn't have a worse place in the world to be trying to manufacture a product to ship around the world globally because we've got to bring a lot of individual parts here, electronics, and and then we've got to do assembly and manufacture here. Um, and then just shipping from Byron Bay is difficult because it's, you know, everything's got to go on a truck to Brisbane and then it's got to go on a ship from there and it's just not a super efficient place to do things, you know, and so it's not, it's, and that's, um, and anyway, that's, that's a whole other question for Byron Bay is what does Byron Bay want to be? You know, do we want, you know, we, we you know, we're really proud to now, employ probably 70 people here in Byron Bay wow. in, in all sorts of interesting roles, you know. So we've, we've from our production manager through to um, R&D roles, creative roles, innovation roles, um, you know, we've, we've got some, we've, you know, I'm really proud of that too. Like that's something that I'm really, really proud of, the fact that there's 60 or 70 families now that are, that are, that are really, you know, rely upon Flightboard to to create these roles that didn't exist in Byron Bay really before. You know, that a lot of the jobs that we've created they're they're high value, high paying jobs that normally you would need to live in a city to 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 have some of those roles. There's only a handful of companies in Byron that are that are creating those kind of jobs. Yeah, which is which is sort of um, you know, which is, I think is really I think is a really important kind of contribution because obviously we've got a real. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. Well, I was going to say, are you fighting <laughs> with counsel right now? You sound like someone no, who, look, like, think- are you guys, because there are people, for those who don't, we have, our listenership is about uh, about half American, half Australian. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. um, for those who aren't familiar with Byron Bay, it's a small town. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't like it to change because it is, it has been going a certain way for a long time. And so is that something that you have come across where it's like these competing yeah, absolutely. forces? Absolutely. We, we, we get support and we get resistance. I mean, the resistance is pretty minimal these days. So I think generally people realize that, you know, I mean, um, I think initially it's like, Hang on a minute! You can't do that in the bay. That's that's not allowed. Why? Because it's different, and it's going to interfere with the surfers, and the surfers won't like it. And then I think people realise that well, one, we're not allowed going into the surfers because it is a motorised craft like a boat. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be within sixty or seventy metres from anybody else in the water. Two, it is quiet and efficient, and most of the time, the whole point is you're getting away from the crowd. You're getting away from the lineup. That's the whole point. You're out there on your own and. And so I think, you know, we rarely have any any kind of resistance or negative comments. I mean, generally I go out flightboarding and 10 people on the beach say, wow, that's incredible. And so, and I think, you know, we won the, the Business New South Wales Award for the Northern Rivers for, for being there um, for innovation last year. So now we have a lot of support from a lot of parts of government. They're, they're, they're going, how can we help? This is incredible. Like you're, you're creating jobs, you're manufacturing, you're innovating, you're exporting to 90 countries from 
which is incredibly unusual. Yeah. Um, um, but, you know, but of course there are pockets of resistance as well, you know, like like you said, to anything different. I think the way I've heard it best described is this a freeze frame um, concept in Byron Bay that people, w- whenever they came here, they wanted to be the same as when they came here. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you came in the 50s or the 60s or the <laughs> yeah. 70s or the 90s or 2015 or 2020 when COVID happened. You don't want it to change from when you came here because that's why you came here. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you could, um, the, the power of the words that we speak also are are very, uh, they create our reality as well, is what I believe. So from like your lips to the universe's ears, what what is your your deepest desire and intention for, for Flight Board in Byron and, and moving forward? Well, I, I really, you know, again, my dream has been to create uh, part of my dream has been to create, you know, real challenging careers where people can really be performing and competing and and enjoying, you know, having, a, you know, challenging creative jobs at, at a global level while living in a beautiful place like this and living that lifestyle where you, you can get up early, go for a run, go and do some yoga, probably not be working until six o'clock, you know, and enjoy this incredible environment. I mean, to me, that's just... That's like the perfect situation, right? You know, you're not, you know, you're not compromising one or the other. You're not having to, you know, spend two hours on public transport in a big smoggy city in order to have a challenging and rewarding career. And yeah, so it's it's to me, you know, again, though. So I think for me, you know, continue, you know, being able to continue what we've created here in Byron and, and keep the kind of the, the 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 kind of creative hub of Flightboard here into the future I think is is really important and then um, just reach more and more people with the product I mean you know our you know our kind of stated purpose as Flightboard is to create remarkable products that inspire people um, to take flight which is our term for having this sort of zen feeling of flying over the water on the foil um, for joy of people and planet you know it's about it's about joy and being present in nature but there's also a really good uh, aspect of for the planet as well. You know, you think about all of that noise and fumes and everything. If if this if this is a signpost for where um, motorized craft on the water, you know, can can go in the future, then that's really exciting as well. You know, so that's your statement to the universe. Yeah. Your manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, and if um, thank you for sharing all of that. First of all, I appreciate you being so open, and you know the the theme of the podcast is following your passions and, and living a life that is remarkable to you and then sharing that with other people. And then that's where all the magic is, right? The hard work, all of that goes into it. It's not always going to be easy, but a way that I love to end, and I don't know if I put it on the sheet to your assistant. So um, if you had to guess on what this experience is, like what what are we living in? Are we in a simulation? Are we in a like what is this? If you had to guess, and based on reading you've done, and there's no right or wrong because I've had people answer the full gamut. What would you say if we were like a bag of mushrooms deep? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? Oh, look, I mean, I just think, um, I mean, just being alive is incredible. Everything's incredible. It's 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 absolutely magical. Um, but at the same time, that there's there's, look at what's going on right now in Middle East and and in Ukraine. There's also there's also absolute terror as well. So I think, um, but but I think fundamentally, you know, the universe is a great place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love and, it. This is your politician answer. <laughs> no, but no, but it, no, but it really is. And and okay. for me, for me, it's the answers in nature. 
you know, if you look at a horse, look at your dog. I mean, you know, animals, for example, that then they are kind. You know, that you can see the love in them. I think that the universe is an incredible, an incredible place in its in its essence. And so it's it's um, and and I think what's amazing about it is all the unknowns, all the things we don't understand. You know, we don't understand some of the things that go on beneath the surface and some of the connections, but. But certainly, there's a lot of evidence of that we, you know, we we can manifest and create things um, with intention and commitment and hard work and 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 that's probably the one that I've probably switched on in the last year or two is hard work. You know, I, I talk to my kids about that. I remember growing up and hearing people talking about hard work, and I was like, oh, that's so boring. Can you shut up about <laughs> hard work? It just sounds like such a kind of a grandpa thing. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, but but I've got to that point now where it's actually like hard work is so it, it is really important because it's it's um. Because I think ultimately what happens, like, you know, look, every, like it's all about how you feel about yourself, right, and, and self-actualization and how you feel about yourself and, and it's about your self-confidence and, and, and those things don't come without hard work. And so I often say to my kids, you know, you've got to work hard. Working hard is important, not for me but for you because you're, when you're working hard at things, you're building, you're building your own self-confidence and you're building your own self-esteem and you're building your own opportunities and, and so – you know, you can so then you can be in a positive mindset because you've got that self-esteem and you can enjoy the amazing world around us, which is cryptic and <laughs> mysterious <laughs> and fascinating and wonderful. You know, all at once. I don't know whether that answers your question. Probably not. I don't think we're in a simulation. Okay, <laughs> but it, it, but you know, it could be no different to a simulation, right? Because it it ultimately is something that is. Um, I don't know. I think it's partly designed, but it's part of the design is that it's. You know, it's self-creating and, you know, I, I really think that as humans we can have an idea and then once we've had an idea that thing is going to happen, that thing exists. Somewhere. It, it, whether it exists straight away or whether it exists in three years' time, we we can create the world around us with our ideas and our creativity and being in that flow state and, you know, being back in nature is the thing that unlocks that the most and, and, um, and it's important to not get too caught up in the – you know, we've we've got to follow the processes. And look again, I'm working in a big corporate now, and you know, we've there's, there's things that we all have to do, um, which is just part of the system that we've created for ourselves. But yeah, I think trying to find that, trying to find that for me, trying to find that clarity and the flow state and the positivity and the passion is still the thing that I know is going to, I know 100% is going to lead to, you know, success for the business and and all the people involved and and for myself, you know, with. Um, you know, the life they want to create next. So, yeah. The life you want to create next. Ooh, I'm like, well, <laughs> I, well that'll be uh, David. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to try to pronounce your last name <laughs> in the Welsh way. I'm like, that's not happening. Yeah, I can't uh, do it <laughs> <laughs> That'll be uh, episode number two. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in and just sharing so openly. And um, I can't wait. Well, that's that. Before we go, the um, I, I saw online you have like camps now where people can different locations, right? Where people can go and try out the boards. Did yeah, that ever happen? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we've got probably four hundred places around the world where we've got oh. we've got partners and they've got schools and they give lessons. So we've got one on the Gold Coast. So one of the things we can't do in Byron Bay is give people. Um, like paid lessons in the marine park. Mm-hmm. And so we can use the boards here for our own development purposes and testing and R&D and our customers can use them, but we can't we can't do flight experiences here. But we have a school up in the Gold Coast. Okay. Um, and what's that experience like? For uh, yeah, the, so for, if, for, is it for any, people who... It, absolutely anybody okay. turn up and 
I pretty much guarantee that within an hour, you know, you'll be foiling. Um, hey, well, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, yes. No, but <laughs> if it's, like, I, the seven-year-old can do like, it. Absolutely. Like, honestly, and we've got, you can foil on your knees, you can stand up. We've got a new thing called the flight scooter, um, which is, you know, inspired, that was sort of created for my wife who didn't really want to get out there and crash into the water at 20 k's an hour. And so you can learn how to foil on that in a couple of minutes. And so that's that's sort of more, a new product we've launched this year as well. But we've got those schools all around the world. So if you go to our website, you, you'll be able to find a location that's, near wherever our listeners are and um, can get out and find freedom and take flight, as we like to say. And it really is a really incredible Zen experience. So whenever I get a little bit lost, going flight boarding is, usually gives me the answer because, you know, if you ever want to feel like a dolphin or a flying fish, that's, that's as close as you're ever going to get. So yeah, it really is kind of like a super nature presence machine. You know, you're, you're flying above the water using these crazy physics over the water so again that that was the intention for everything and that's still the thing that you know gets me out of bed every morning that you know taking that experience to more people thank you for joining me today my intention is always that you leave feeling inspired in some way in a better mood you have that bit of courage to to take action on whatever it is that you're wanting to create right now that idea that's been brewing in the back of your mind for the last six months or six years. It's all about just taking little steps each day. So hopefully this gave you a bit of motivation to do that. If you enjoyed the episode and want to stay up to date with the happenings of the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple. We're also on iHeartRadio now. And you can also leave us a review in your app. It's a great way to show your support for the show. And as always, have a beautiful day and until next week.